Welcome to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. On this show, we discuss topics relating to the exterior building envelope, such as waterproofing, glazing, cladding, roofing, and more. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. For previous episodes, show notes, and bonus video content, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com. Now, here's your host for the Everything Building Envelope podcast, Paul Beers. Welcome back, everyone, to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. Very excited today to have as our guest John Kimberlane with Dow Corning. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's it's an honor to um, to be invited and, and speak with you today. Yeah, well, I know you've got lots of good stuff that the um, the listeners are going to be interested in. So. Before we get into that, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your background, and we'll go from there. Sure. Um, thank you, Paul. Um, I, my name's John. I am a, a senior application specialist at Dow Corning. Um, I've, I've been with them since 1999 and worked in uh, uh, several different roles, all related to uh, sealants and materials that are used in the high-performance building industry. I've been out in the field since about 2004, working as an application specialist and in, in helping people design and, and fabricate uh, buildings using silicone sealants. And I've written several papers on um, different aspects of, of performance of the sealants and contributed to uh, uh, several industry guideline documents like the GANA sealant manual. I used to build houses with my father when I was younger, and, and I've never stopped uh, uh, wanting to participate and, and figure out how things work in the building industry since. Great. I think most people know this, but for those who may not, can you just talk a little bit about Dow Corning? Sure. Um, Dow Corning is a um, fully owned subsidiary of uh, Dow Chemical. It was uh, created in 1943 when scientists at Carnegie Mellon actually discovered a unique property of silicone polymers. And in trying to figure out what to do with those, they created a, a joint venture between Dow Chemical and, and Corning Glass and found uses for silicones in, in military applications and health and beauty care and, and construction. And uh, it continues to this day as a, a very innovative company in, in the use of uh, silicone materials in, in everyday life. So we're going to talk about silicone sealants today, and can you just sort of um, tell us about you know what that encompasses as far as the sealants themselves and, and complementary materials? Yeah, I'm happy happy to do that. Um, we have we have several different sealant types, um, things that are used in weatherproofing that are specific to substrates like masonry and and stone versus aluminum. We have structural glazing sealants that um, are both one and two part that allow people to either build uh, glass buildings in the field or in shop. And then we also offer uh, complementary products in, in things like primer, which enable faster adhesion build in, in uh, these applications, as well as uh, architectural coatings to help uh, prevent water uh, through water penetration on things like EFIS and, and stucco. So it's good to have everything kind of from from where I come from, it's good to have everything kind of from the same family and and even the same manufacturer because it gives you a better chance for a um, kind of a comprehensive solution. 
So with the sealants, um, so, so let's just talk generally about silicone first of all. What are some of the benefits of using silicone as compared to maybe some of the other options that are out there? Well, what's, what's interesting about silicone sealants is that they are uh, highly durable. And the, the first ever use of a silicone sealant in a weatherproofing application was actually in 1958, and it was in a uh, building in the Midwest that was exposed to high cold temperatures, a lot of uh, snow, a lot of rain, and a lot of sunlight um, positioned on one of the Great Lakes up there. And that material was actually removed in 2013, not because it had failed, but because the owners of the building wanted to update the look of the facade. And so we, we were actually fortunate enough to get some of that material and, and take a look at it. And it was still elastic. It was still stretchy. It was still performing as intended. What, what we did find was what was interesting is, is that in the few areas that had failed, it was actually an application issue where the material wasn't applied as it should. You could almost imagine that um, somebody was taking and putting the sealant on there and using their thumb to, to tool it in to this weatherproofing joint. So really the, the durability is uh, one of the calling cards of, of silicone sealants compared to organic materials which have a tendency to uh, uh, weather and, and, and uh, lose its performance characteristics over you know, several years to maybe a, a decade or, or two. I just counted on my hand and it sounds like it was over 50 years old when, um, when it was removed. Yeah, Dwight, Dwight D. Eisenhower was the president uh, when when this material was applied. Oh, wow! You know, it just it just remind me of something. It's one of my one of my pet peeves. You said that they, somebody might have tooled it with their thumb. I know this is kind of jumping around a little bit, but that's really not the way you're supposed to do it, is it? No, and 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 it was interesting because we did like a, a literature review for this paper. Um, I, I have a friend, Brett, with WJE in Chicago. And, and they have a great library of, of historical documents, and we, we had uh, several historical documents. And what was interesting is we didn't see a whole lot of industry guidance of how to apply materials. And, and, and you know, I think over, over time, one of the benefits of the longevity of this material, we've seen things like ASTM and, and GANA and these other organizations develop procedures and processes to design and install materials in an appropriate way because even though you know the amount of material that's going into these applications is minimal from a, a volume and, and price, they, they play a critical role in the performance of the building, not only in year one, but you know, later on down the line and trying to prevent water and uh, it helps with energy for uh, sealing off so you don't have un uncontrolled air losses and things like that. So yeah, it, it uh, it was it was interesting to see the history of uh, uh, how this material was applied and imagining what <laughs> what people were actually doing and just tr trying to slap it on there in, in some instances. Well, bad news, they're still doing it, I think, <laughs> in some instances. <laughs> and you know that probably better than anybody. You're a field engineer, so I assume that you go out and see some projects maybe that are in premature failure. Is that right? I don't have any projects that have, have issues on them at all. Every everything is uh, roses. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's good. Um, <laughs> that's good. That's, that's utopia. Utopia. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, it's it's interesting. Um, and, and this is like you know I mentioned that I used to build houses with my my dad. 
you know, one of the things that has kept my interest in that is that you run into situations where things were not designed properly or installed properly and, you know, developing kind of this forensic analysis on where things went wrong has been a, you know, part of why I enjoy doing what I'm doing and, and get to see the, the various problems associated with it. And, and I think, you know, from what I've seen, typically it's, it's really where the applicator doesn't follow the, the published procedures or, or follow the design via the, the project drawings is where a lot of the challenges come in. Um, because, you know, this it, it seems simple that we're just putting caulk up on a building, but, you know, a lot of this is really high-end stuff, that, and the chemistry involved in making sure it, it's compatible with the different substrates and, you know, the different primers that may be needed, doing things in the order they're supposed to, like putting the backer rod in after you prime the surfaces. I mean, all these things are, are important and require a high level of uh, uh, degree of mechanical ability. So basically, you just covered the point I was trying to get at is that the failures almost always, probably not always, but almost always are application related, not, you know, something's wrong with the material. Yeah, and and some of that too is, you know, as, as Dow Corning, we have um, always offered up the ability to have blueprints provided to us or our project drawings especially important in like the structural glazing applications where we have to have these these uh, drawings to review to ensure the material is a sufficient um, uh, dimension to carry loads. We also take a look and make sure like the weather seals look, look appropriate as far as minimum recommendations. Uh, really, I think that kind of helps that facilitate that um, design process to ensure, at least on paper, things look like they're working like they should. So let's go through the process, say, for weather seals on a new construction project. So the the first thing you would have to do, I think, is select the proper material for the application. So why don't we start with how one would go about doing that, and then you know what happens along the way as far as making sure that it's going to be, um, you know, the joint design is proper and it's going to stick to the substrate and all those kind of things. Okay, so um, in our technical manual, we actually have um, a list of several different substrates and the different sealants that we offer as part of um, helping select what material may be the best choice for the substrate. And, and it includes things like, uh, you know, how do you clean the surface, whether it's solvent or bristle brush and dust, and then it typically if a primer is needed. And so that would help guide an architect or a, a design engineer in, in selecting that. And, and a lot of times we have materials like Dow Corning 790, which is, um, which is very good with uh, cementitious-based products, so like masonry, um, stone, things like that, where if you're looking at something like 795, it's pro probably more appropriate for glass and metal. <clears throat> so being able to use that, um, that chart can help you select which materials needed and and I think the the most obvious next step is is that a mock-up needs to be built because we um we don't have control over the substrates that are used in the field and and a lot of substrates can be very uh, highly variable I mean not all the concrete is is the same mix um, from region to region and even just locally and not all the the surfaces of the metal are consistent so it's it's really important to ensure that the um, 
the sealant's going to stick to the material than it's supposed to, and that's accomplished through a, a field um, adhesion testing on the mock-ups. You can, you can also actually submit samples of the substrates to us, um, and, we can, and we can do testing in our laboratory as part of, the, uh, of this, uh, this warranty process for, for the weather seal applications. And, and we can help validate whether the sealant's going to stick to it, whether primer's needed, you know, are you going to do this bristle cleanness with bristle brush and dust, or is it going to require a solvent, those types of things. We talk about adhesion testing. There's also um, issues with compatibility signs with, with some of the other materials that the sealant may come into contact with. Is that right? Yeah, actually, yeah, we, um, we, we'll do compatibility testing. So things like uh, natural rubbers that... Uh, can be in gaskets or setting blocks. They they have plasticizers in that material that can freely move about in from the setting block or gasket into the sealant. And these plasticizers are organic. And what happens is they'll come to the surface of the sealant and they'll oxidize and turn brown, creating kind of a a, a really poor looking, poor aesthetic um, condition in, at at the the outside of the facade. So we we also do that testing to ensure that you're not going to see potentially aesthetic issues as well as we we test the adhesion to make sure that these plasticizers are not influencing the adhesion of the sealant to the substrate. We're talking about kind of stuff that you do getting started with the project. The we can have you know Dow can review drawings. Uh, you do mock-ups, adhesion testing, compatibility testing, those sorts of things. So. Now we're actually, you know, we, we've been through all that and we've got good confidence about the materials we're using. I wanted to ask one more question, though, before we get to that. Can you talk a little bit about joint design or joint profile and the use of baccarat and bond breaker tape? Sure. So so in a conventional weather seal, typically we, we see something that's like a butt joint. And, and what we want to see in a good design is that the joint is shaped like an hourglass. We want to see that mainly because what, what that hourglass shape does is it maximizes the contact between the sealant and the substrate and reduces the thickness in the middle of the joint, which when the joint moves, it reduces the potential stress on distributed within that joint to prevent overloading one side or the other to prevent failure in that. So the backer rod plays not only a critical part in helping define the joint, but it also plays a critical part in helping define the geometry of the joint. How's that? That's good. That's good. So um, so the follow-up to that is seeing, you know, misconceptions in the field about Baccarat and things like that. Baccarat, and if you can just maybe just briefly talk about it, Baccarat is for the joint profile and does not help with waterproofing, aside from making sure the sealant joint's the right size. In other words, background isn't part of the waterproofing process. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's only there, it's only useful through the, um, the, the cure. Once the sealant's cured, it really doesn't provide a lot of function, and unless it's like a horizontal joint where you're having to put a real stiff material in there so you're not getting any punctures or, or issues with, uh, you know, somebody in a high heel push, pushing through the sealant and falling and, and causing ankle issues. But, yeah, for for the most part, the, the backer rod is, 
is just there for the cure cycle. So we've got our material selected and we've designed our joints and we've gone through all the pre-construction, submittal, and review process. And now we're out in the field and, and we're actually installing the material. What kind of review and, well, first of all, obviously contractors, subcontractors should have their own quality control measures set up and training and whatnot, you know, having skilled applicators make sure everything goes in right. But what kind of support can they get from Dow and the distributor during the installation process? Well, we um, we have a, a very strong uh, partner network with our distributors, and, and part of the you know this warranty process is that that someone from Dow or or someone from our distributor will come out and do field adhesion testing periodically through the the construction of a building to ensure not only that you know the the materials form an adhesion to the different substrates, but also looking at the geometry of the joint to make sure that it is. Um, appropriate, um, that hourglass shape where it's, you know, maximizing the contact on the sides versus um, having a, a thinner section in the middle. And uh, in, in all of our, um, you know, distributors are, are trained on how to do an appropriate field adhesion test, um, which includes, you know, you may not think about it, but if you have a joint that's metal to masonry, I mean, those are two two different types of substrates, and so the, the masonry might require a primer where the metal does not, and you have to be able to isolate the sealant in such a way that you're actually testing the adhesion to each surface independently versus, you know, testing kind of a composite reaction of the two substrates. So, you know, this all this, I just want to tell the listeners, because we run into this a lot. Well, let me ask you one pretty easy question first. What's the charge for all this? What does Dow Corning charge the customer to do reviews and field support and things like that? It's actually, there. there is no charge. It, it comes with uh, part of, the, again, kind of this warranty process of weather seal and, and structural glazing applications. So it's it's built into the, um, into the, the product as part of that free. whole process. Yeah, it's free. Yeah, so everybody listening to that, all this stuff that's really, you know, really good practice and really something that should be done on every project, there's no charge, no additional charge for it. And so many times it's not done. <laughs> it's, just, it's it's kind of mind-boggling that that it's not even a cost issue. It's just a question of, you know, kind of understanding what needs to be done and, and facilitating having it happen. And I can remember projects that we've worked on, I've worked on with um, – Kevin Dumphy, who's the um, Dow rep in South Florida, where we went back on some old projects and we were trying to, I was actually trying to determine if it was, whose material was used. It was it was a project where um, the sealant had gotten concrete overspray on it from a building next door. We were just trying to figure out whose material was on it. And it was a very prominent contractor that had done the work originally and Kevin went back and researched, and basically they had not <laughs> done any any warranty, you know, any of the um, any of the stuff we just talked about. It was, it was really surprising, but I guess that's the way things work sometimes. Can you talk a little bit about what the speaking of warranty, what the warranty options are for the customer and, and the and the end user with the silicone sealants? Sure. For for weatherproofing, we offer a uh, limited 
performance warranty of 20 years, which essentially states that there would be no um, through water penetration in the, the area where that sealant is applied. And there's there's some caveats, you know, it's, it has to be applied properly per our uh, published recommendations. And, and you can go to uh, www.dowcorning.com and, and search for our, our America's Technical Manual for, for those recommendations. The warranty, you know, has got things like uh, acts of nature, things like that, that um, are not included in the performance warranty. But if, if you look at it, we're really what we're saying is at, at a minimum of 20 years, we expect that sealant to perform. In, in weather sealing applications, and obviously, uh, like I was talking about, the first use of that weather seal, in, in reality, the sealant probably is going to last um, uh, quite a bit longer as long as it uh, was designed and applied properly. On the on the flip side of that, we have a, a structural glazing warranty, and it, it, it is a limited performance warranty up to 20 years. And, and what that um, guarantees is as long as a, a structurally glazed curtain wall assembly has been designed and applied properly with our sealants, the sealant will retain the glass or infill in the frame for a minimum of, of 20 years. So, so what has to be done in order to, I, I know, you know, these warranties sound great, but that, that you don't just automatically get the warranty if you buy, a, a you know, material from Dow. What, what exactly has to be done in order for the warranty to be valid? So that's a that's that's an important point. The um, the warranty is actually issued for the address and the location of the project. It's not like you said. It's not you just buy a, a tube of seven nine five and all of a sudden you've got a, a twenty year warranty. And so what what happens is, especially for structural glazing applications, we require drawings to be submitted so we can review and ensure that the uh, the structural joint dimension is adequate for the the design loads. We also require samples to be submitted of the different substrates that, that are going to either be structurally glazed or, or in weather seal. And, and what we do is we'll test for adhesion, compatibility, and we also have a, a, a ability to test for stain for like sensitive stones. And without that testing and without that project review, the warrant, there, there will be no warranty offered. So it's a critical part of the process of this construction fabrication and, and what we hope to see is is that all this is done prior to um, the building being commissioned um, because you know it part of this this testing and things and this these drawing reviews helps uh, it's another set of eyes on the project to ensure that there's nothing that you know potentially could be a fatal fall in in the performance of the building moving forward so if, if you're building the one main street skyscraper and you go through the whole process, and the warranty is actually issued specifically saying it's the one Main Street skyscraper. So technology is really advancing these days. You know, we see a lot of things going on in the construction industry, which honestly I believe is a little slow <laughs> to, adopt, to get going on some of this stuff. But, but they are, you know, I mean, you go out in the field now, and superintendents have iPads with the plans, and, you know, you see... You know, a lot easier to collaborate and have have information available and things like that. What are some of the technology advances that you're seeing in the sealant industry? Well, one of the things that we're being asked on a frequent basis is providing data to allow designers to use finite element analysis 
in, in their designs, especially for uh, structural glazing applications, because we have a lot of folks globally that are pushing the boundaries of what, you know, a facade is. I, I guess from a classics point of view, you know, most curtain walls envision as a frame with a piece of glass in it. And, and people are trying to use glass as structural members. And so these are these are really complex things to calculate. And it, it requires, you know, heavy computing power. So we have an, invested quite a bit of time and, and effort to help develop that data. And, and what it's done is it's helped us, it's given us insight, you know, on how sealants perform. I think the other thing, it's, it's helped us come out with a, a new type of uh, structural glazing adhesive, because one of the you know one of the new technologies or new trends is the going to point fixed glazing facades, where you only the only means of attachment are the corners and midpoints versus the entire perimeter and, and kind of your conventional structural glazing. One of the challenges with those point fixed systems are you actually have to drill through the glass, and and really you know it's not it, it's I think it's well established on how to do that properly. I think. For, for a lot of people, the question becomes, you know, if you're drilling through the glass and that's a sealed IG unit, is it going to lose gas? Is it going to condense? You know, what's that unit going to look like in the future? Or, or how is its energy performance going to maintain itself? Well, with this new structural adhesive, which is 10 times the allowable stress of conventional structural glazing. So if you design structural glazing, you use an allowable stress of 20 PSI. To, to come up with a joint size. With this stuff, it's it's 200 PSI. So it allows the use of uh, minimal contact points using point-fixed systems at a higher strength. But part of that is is that it requires, you know, some heavy lifting from an engineering analysis to do that. But what it accomplishes is it, you know, it doesn't disturb the integrity of the glass. You don't have to drill through it. Um, and also, I you know, I think gives it a cleaner appearance where you see the entire glass facade versus something sticking through that, which I think architecturally, you know, gives a lot of freedom in the design of uh, in the appearance of, of the of the glass. So why what what's the attraction with point fix systems, or why are designers gravitating to that? Well, I I think there's a couple reasons. One is is that you know glass is getting bigger. I mean, if you go to some of these trade shows. And, and have you seen some of, uh, you know, like Eckersley O'Callaghan's work across the globe with these Apple stores, you're starting to see pieces of glass that are like 20 feet by 40 feet. And why why that is, I think, is people want uninterrupted views in, in their building. And so when you look at, you know, these large pieces of glass, uh, they may require very large or thick mullions, which, you know, kind of architecturally interrupt the view. And, and may not be the aesthetic that, that they want. So I think it's kind of pushing that idea towards that point fixed where you're minimizing the, the interruption of the attachment points from around the entire perimeter just to specific locations on, on the interior of the facade. Yeah, you know, these Apple stores are really cool. I've, um, I was out in um, Santa Monica, California, and there's one there. And basically the roof and the, you know, it's, it's, in, the, it's in like a shopping mall. So the side walls are other stores, but the roof and the front of it is basically all glass. And there's some big pieces of glass, structural glaze, mullions, things like that. You can tell they're making lots of money <laughs> just, the, just the way they're putting it all together. We're seeing, you know, our, our um, con 
consulting practice, we're seeing, well, we've always had it this way, but we're seeing the desire for bigger and bigger pieces of glass. And it's a, it's a challenge, but you know they are getting bigger. And, and you get into markets like hurricanes where you've really got to have a lot of structural capacity to withstand missile impacts and things like that. That's where architects still don't always get what they want. You know, the, the new facades are obviously obviously very impressive. Where do you see things going from now with your industry? What's the future? Well, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think it's going to be uh, more sophisticated designs um, incorporating, you know, these larger pieces of glass. I, I think, you know, if you look at a lot of, a lot of these projects like that, uh, that glass slide on the, the face of the building there in Los Angeles, I think you're going to start to see glass being used as, as a, a functional piece of a building more so than just a, a window to the outside. And, and I think that's going to require a lot of heavy engineering and, and oversight to ensure that things are fabricated properly. I think, you know, I, I do think that glass is still extremely valuable material in, in the building industry. It's one of the few things that allows people to interact with the outside while, while still being in, in a controlled environment. And I think when people build buildings, they want to be able to, to have that interaction. And so I, I think of things that will allow us to do it, like dynamic glazing to help control with energy that's used in a building. And I think even in the future, we'll see probably interactive displays where you're, you're almost have a computer screen or an iPad that's the size of a, a window wall uh, where you can interact with um, different things beyond just that, that look outside. Technology is really exciting. I mean, it's it really get, getting to the point where, where we're getting into things that are just futuristic movie stuff a few years ago, and now it's actually, you know, we're actually getting into it and doing it. And, you know, you talk about virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and, and all those sorts of things, and they're real. <laughs> we're all going to be using them. I mean, it sounds like outer space maybe right now, but five years from now, we're probably all going to be using them. And, you know, when we have this conversation again five years from now, it'll be a completely different conversation. The stuff that we say is coming will be kind of old school. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. So thank you very much for um, coming on today. I mean, really, really interesting. And I think it provides a lot of really good value to listeners. Um, you know, the one thing that you said, which is really resonates with me being in the business that I'm in, and I think will resonate with the listeners, is that, you know, the importance of weather seals and things like that and keeping the water 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 and the elements out of a building. I mean, a proje- success of a project can live or die on that. It's really important and it's really interesting. And you guys are big players in this and, and you know, very well respected. I know we work with Dow a lot, on a lot of projects. Really thank you for the insight and uh, and the wisdom. And I think it was really good stuff. Well, and, and let me thank you for the opportunity. This has been a, a, a pleasure uh, talking to you. And if there are any listeners out there that want to, you know, interact with me, have questions about it, feel free to provide my contact information um, to them. I'm always happy to talk silicones and, and building science and, and things like that. Yeah, so um, that's a good point. Why don't you tell listeners how to get more information about everything that we just talked about? I know you, you referenced the technical manual. Where do they go and what do they see? 
Yeah, they can go to uh, our, our website, www.dowcorning.com. That's D-O-W-C-O-R-N-I-N-G. I can be reached at john.kimberlane at dowcorning.com. If they go to the website, there's a lot of uh, interactive displays of, uh, you know, information that's tailored to somebody that's more architecturally focused versus a fabricator. Um, and it has information on warranties, testing capabilities. We publish a lot of white papers on, on different building science aspects of, of our materials. So there's a, you know, a, a deluge of material on the website. But if they, they can't find something, you know, they can feel free to contact me. To, to further assist. Great, great. Well, that's a really valuable resource. So once again, thanks so much and um, really interesting. Thanks for joining us today. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more information on the Everything Building Envelope, previous episodes, show notes, bonus video content, and much more, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com.